Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to the last episode of 2018. We are just days away from New Year's when this is being released. I realize some of you will listen to it later, but I am excited because I am all ready for 2019. I spend a lot of time the week between Christmas and New Year's working on goals, but this year I went all the way back to Thanksgiving uh, and took that weekend to really start crafting. So I've already started executing my 2019 plan, and I'm really excited about today's guest because we're going to talk about how do you live a great story in 2019? And beyond. And what does that mean? And this is somebody who I have known, it's got to be about seven or eight years. And he's a young entrepreneur. He's not 30 years old yet. He's only 27 or 28. But he has been out there from the beginning. He early on decided he had no interest in following that path that society told him to lead. Now, I met him about the time when I discovered I had spent a good 25 years with my ladder against the wrong wall, doing exactly what society said to do. So there was something about when I met him, I was impressed, the fact that he just said, I'm going to carve my own path in the world. And I always remember thinking, I wish I could have been 20, 21 years old and had had that attitude. My only regret that I have in my life is I didn't start earlier trying to figure out my own thing. So I think today's episode is going to be enlightening. I believe it's going to be inspiring, and I think you're going to learn a lot from today's guest, Zach Horvath. But before we get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So many of you, many of you offer physical products to your fans and your customers. But dealing with that physical stuff, poof, it can be a pain and it steals your precious time. You've got to pack it up in envelopes or boxes. You've got to take it to the post office and stand in line. Well, my friends at Amplifier, they blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you totally control. They can integrate with your e-commerce shop and help you drive any free giveaway campaigns that you might be running. They are fantastic for big internet powerhouse companies, but also for entrepreneurs just starting out. Because on-demand means no inventory risk. But as you grow, you can stock up on inventory, and Amplifier will handle that for you. So go over to amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. So speaking of today, today's guest, as I said, is Zach Horvath. He is the mastermind behind the brand that you have seen, most likely called Live a Great Story. Now, if you live in Austin, Texas or San Diego, you have seen sort of the graffiti art that was all over town for several years. Uh, if you live anywhere on Instagram or on the internet and you are about travel and finding your own path and living a story, you have probably seen somebody holding up one of their flags, standing at Machu Picchu, or holding up one of their stickers as they take a picture over Tahiti. The whole message is pretty self-explanatory. Live a great story. Now, Zach has created a lifestyle brand around this, and he's done a lot of things with it, and he's changed it and morphed because all good entrepreneurs, they have to know how to pivot in order to get their businesses going. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Hey, Zach, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom. Excited to be here. This is definitely a long time coming, so excited to, to chat. Yeah, I think we've talked about having you on the show since I started the show, but at that time, four years ago, when you were sort of launching the t-shirt side of the business and stuff, you had moved away from Austin. You had moved off to San Diego, California. 
yeah, I uh, made the jump and now I'm back. So it's good, good to, to take the leap out to San Diego. And that's actually a lot of why I Live a Great Story started. So it was a good lifespan. I was out there for about four years and I know you have some experience out there. And uh, so good to share that common background. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I went the traditional path. I went to college there. I went to San Diego State University, go Aztecs. And I lived there for five years. Uh, but I've been back probably almost, almost at least once a year for the last, I don't know how long been 20 30 years since i left college but i go to san diego all the time it's they call it america's finest city and they're right except for the fact that there is austin so True. i don't know it might be america's finest second finest city but let's talk about how you got started right you decided early on that, that you had no interest in just plodding along and doing the things that everybody told you to do after high school so take us back take us back to 18 year old zach what 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 did you do what have you done let's go from there it's a good place to start. Actually, we can even go back a little bit before 18 to about 16, 17, when I first started my first thing. And uh, I, it was a t-shirt company in high school. And I was, I have a pretty unique signature. I've always been about my signature. I, I grew up in Hungary and I learned how to write cursive. And so for some reason, really early on, I was always about signing my name in cool, unique ways. And so my signature kind of evolved and, and really landed on this unique design. And I used to draw it everywhere, like everywhere in my high school. It was kind of a cursive Z with a couple of dots, if I remember. It's a, it's a cursive Z and an and a H kind of woven together. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty eye-catchy Instagrams from people seeing it and stuff. But yeah, that was kind of it. And then um, I drew it everywhere and signed my you know high school name as that all on my papers. And, and every year, teachers my teachers probably teacher, loved that. They would be like, write your full name. And I would say, no. <laughs> and so, uh, but eventually it started spreading. And, 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 you know, I think one day someone said, man, I would totally buy a shirt if you, if you put that on there. It's such a cool logo. And so I did. And I paid someone $50 to take it from my signature to a vector file, an illustrator file, and, and then print my first round of shirts at, I think, 16 or 17, I think sophomore year of high school. And that's kind of the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey and, and, and really starting there and, and just from the beginning of thinking about how to build that and sell it and from person to person. And, and that, that's really what was the start of it all. And so now about 10 years later, I've done so many things in between. But I think that that early stage of, of embarking on that journey and taking that leap really early was such a, a, an opportunity and, and a really cool space to really step into something that was unknown and to really start forging my own path. And I think from, from really a, like, even before that, I always just wanted to, I always wanted to just be unique and different. I didn't want to follow what other people were doing. And I, I don't know if that was a societal thing that I learned or my family growing up and, you know, traveling. And, you know, I, I grew up in Hungary and being, kind of an outsider, an American in, in an Eastern European so country. What brought you to Hungary? Why was your family there? Yeah, so my dad's Hungarian. Uh, he actually was born um, leaving Hungary. Uh, his parents were um, kind of outspoken against the government. And so uh, maybe I, that's where I got my little bit of my rebel streak from my granddad on, on my dad's side and my mom's side too. But uh, they had to leave the country. And so uh, when I was five years old, four or five years old, my family moved back and kind of just wanted to to do that and, and take the leap. So me and two of my sisters, we moved there before we we're five. 
and and then my youngest sister was born there. So um, they they teach cursive handwriting, and so that's where I, I started my signature and and uh, and really just kind of wanting to blaze my own trail from from a really early age. I just I just wanted to do things that I wanted to do. And um, from like drawing on my shoes in middle school and like customizing them with Sharpies to kind of making my own clothes and, and kind of standing out and, and deciding not to follow the crowd. And then really that ended up being something that led the crowd. I, I've always kind of done stuff and then invited people along for the ride. And, and I think that's definitely a big part of my story. So you're one of four kids. You're the only boy. Only boy, the oldest, oldest boy, three so, sisters. And, and then, then you've got an uncle who has actually been a guest on this show. You've got an uncle who is a, a huge entrepreneur and a huge teacher of entrepreneurship. So, you know, obviously with your dad saying, hey, let's pack up the family and move to Hungary, your grandfather being a little bit of an outspoken politico, and then an uncle on your mom's side who is, uh, you know, kind of a huge entrepreneur. It's not like you grew up in a vacuum around this stuff. Carving your own path seems to be something that was okay in your family. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, even my great grandparents and, and their, their journey from on my, on my uncle's side and them starting kind of in the oil business and wildcatters and, you know, moving west and starting their own thing to, you know, my dad, great grandparents' side on my dad's side. It's definitely, definitely not a vacuum. And then um, actually, so my uncle was a big part of probably the, a really, influential major push in the beginning because when I was thinking about going to school I distinctly remember sitting out on his porch and him saying yeah you, you probably shouldn't go to college <laughs> so in high school let's go to that let's go there everybody you know for the most part coming out of a place I think you went to Austin High coming out of a place like that you know everybody talks about oh where are you going to college where are you going to college and you zigged and went the other way with the blessing of an entrepreneurial uncle and other stuff what was that all about this was in 2009. So I graduated high school in 2009. And that's right around the time that the recession kind of was full bloom. And a lot of the data on college was starting to come to light as, as the, the, the possible negative side of college and how the inflation rate, you know, of a college tuition was about 4x of the, you know, traditional, um, growth of anything else. So like the amount of the, the amount that it costs for going to college was just massive compared to inflation across the board. And so I had, and you know, all these things were coming out, obviously jobs, people were graduating with so much debt, no opportunity for jobs. And so I, you know, paired with Jeff's idea of, you know, maybe go out and just learn by doing instead of learning to learn, like learn through action and that initial nudge and, and more like reading a bunch and, and thinking about like listening to kind of where we were in the economics of our country. And then I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I don't need to go to college. I know I want to start, I want to be in business. I want to do something business related. Why do I need to learn how to do business? Why can't I just do business through like actually doing it and not learning from someone else that maybe has never done it. They've, you know, like, got a degree in business, but you know, so much of business is hands-on, it's real world, it's experience, it's getting your hands dirty. It's not necessarily like textbook education. Like entrepreneurship isn't something that's, you know, you don't have a formula for it. It's so, it's so real world. And so I just thought maybe I don't need to like learn from a book. Maybe I can just learn from action. So it hasn't all been easy, but you've been doing this now for eight or nine years. Tell us, tell us some of the successes and some of the failures. 
So lots of failures. I really have been, after that first company, uh, that t-shirt company in high school, I pretty much went on a streak of starting businesses of all sorts of types and, and really just following what I thought were my passions and interests and, and my direction. So how can I take that and really just, just try it? And um, in hindsight, and, and really in the, actually in the moment, it really looked very, I call it shiny object syndrome because I would get really excited about something. One of my superpowers is ideation and, and being able to have ideas and, and bringing ideas to life. And so uh, one of the weak side of that is jumping around too much. And, and, you know, when like, uh, like, you know, the dip, Seth Godin talks about the dip instead of going through the dip, like, no, I'll start this or I'll go here, do this. And, and so, uh, really over the last decade of, of entrepreneurship, I've started about five, six, seven, eight different ideas or projects from events companies to multi-level marketing to, um, traveling and blogging and content creation and really just like a whole spread of things because I wanted to find out what my interests were and then in that process kind of just better understand myself. And, and so that uh, in, in hindsight, it was, it was all a journey that led to live a great story starting and, and being able to grow it and have the experience to, you know, once I landed on something that was validated, how to, how to scale that and build something there. Uh, but in in the moment, it was it was pretty all over the place. Well, but I a big part of my mantra now, and I wish I'd been this way when I was younger. A big part of my mantra now has become try new things. And the, the reality is, is every time you try something, success, succeed or fail, you become smarter, you become stronger, and I think it it flexes that muscle of courage. And so, even though the things you started, it might have been like, "Whoa, shiny! Hey, squirrel! There, boom! Off to the next thing." Every single one of those experiences probably showed you what you liked, what you didn't like, what resonated with people, so that when you sort of built everything around the Live a Great Story brand, you were easier to work through the, the, the dip, as you will, because you kind of knew a little bit more about yourself. You had flexed that muscle, where I think a lot of people, they try one thing, and then some people have success, and that's awesome, but we all know that most of us have failures, and then they say, oh, well, the, I, I'm not cut out for this, and they stop, so I think that you know, getting out there and just, you know, swinging at a bunch of pitches probably, you know, and you're still young, you'll probably swing at a bunch more, probably makes you stronger and more courageous for when, you know, the, the whole story plays itself out. 100%. I think I love your try new things. And for me, I think the phrase of like collect experiences was a really big one because the more that we can learn through action, the more that gives us data for making better decisions in the future. So all of these seemingly um, failed businesses or failed ventures or, or things were just experiences. They were lots of micro failures. So not committing too heavy and, and doing so much that you can't kind of backtrack out of it. But I, you know, uh, failing fast is, is for sure one of the blessings that I had. And especially at a young age where there's not really much uh, resulting, you can't really do too much the younger you are that can last too long, right? Like you can make a lot, so many micro failures before you have kids, before you have a family, before you have a mortgage, a lot of the things that come with uh, later in life, uh, just like the burdens of that or the, the responsibilities uh, you know, when you're young, you can fail and fall on your face and get scraped up and pick yourself right back up. And it's, it gets a lot harder to do that. So I'm definitely grateful that I started this way before. Uh, I, I think one of the big quotes that I learned through, uh, I've been revisiting the idea. I, I was in a multi-level marketing company and, 
for a while. And, and one of the things they talk about is Robert Kiyosaki and he's uh, kind of this business guru. And, you know, he, one of his quotes is like, go, go bankrupt before you're 30, right? Cause even if you fail before you're 30, you can still pick yourself up after that and, and keep going. And so I was like, man, I have a lot of years before 30. Let's just like throw it all at the wall and see what happens. So the episode that is one directly before this one, the episode is, uh, you're 419, I think, and 418, the, the one that was just a couple days ago, I interviewed a woman who is a minimalist, and she had actually spent 12 years working for an association right out of college, and she was passionate about the cause, and it was a nonprofit, and it was, it was great, but she wanted to start her own business, so now she's a minimalist coach, and she goes in and teaches people how to get rid of some of the clutter. However, I asked her, you know, how did you start the business, and one of the things is she said she was financially sound, and I said, you worked for a nonprofit. How'd you do that? And she said, well, I started being a minimalist very young. I didn't need very much, so I was able to save money. And kind of to what you're saying, when you're young and you don't have the mortgage and you don't have all the stuff, you know, you're able to be able to take some risks. And with that means that you're able you know, to live on a little bit more of a shoestring. And if you fail, it's not like you, know, you just lost the house. Totally. I think that idea of I've definitely subscribed to minimalism and uh, that was probably one of the better things. I'm going to interrupt you. You subscribe to minimalism except when it comes to shoes. I have never seen a guy who owns more shoes than Zach Horvath. Amelda, the, uh, I mean, your generation is too young to know who Amelda Marcos was, but that woman had nothing on you when it came to shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Shoes... Shoes are definitely my kind of my side motto is is best dressed from the knees down. So if I can if I can uh, really inspire people and then walk into a room and also be the best dressed from the knees down, those are kind of my two goals. So shoes and socks, and also I uh, summertime I'm I'm all into pedicures and and getting getting my toes painted. So that's kind of uh, an important part of of my journey. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever had a pedicure. So the, the thought I'm, of some the thought of somebody touching my toes. Ugh. Tom, it's the best. We're, we got to go. Ugh. We got to go do uh, it. I'm, I'm shivering at the thought of somebody touching my feet. It's the best. So going back to this whole idea of live a great story. So I have always been a big fan ever since you came up with this as sort of your brand. I've always been a big fan. You started printing shirts four or five years ago. I know for a fact that as soon as you launched the website, I bought one of the first shirts. I may not have bought the first shirt but I have to be in the first half dozen or dozen shirts that were purchased. And I've worn that shirt religiously now for several years and I'll wear it when I travel and I'm in the airport and people will always stop me and go, Oh, I love the shirt. People who have battled cancer will come up to me and go, where can I get that shirt? Um, it, it resonates very seriously with, with people. So I know that you have talked to thousands of people around this whole concept of live, live a great story. What does that mean? I think one of the magic pieces about Live a Great Story is that it means something so unique and individual to every person that comes into contact with it. And I think that the interpretability of that and the personalization is one of the, the, the powers of Live because it has such a deep impact on people and touches this psychological human aspect. And that's the coolest part is because like you said, the cancer people or the people that are, you know, embarking on, on a, on a new phase of life or the people that are like 
in a, in a, in the middle of doing something really cool and, 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 and how it inspires them to keep going or maybe on the downswing or, you know, all the walks of life, it, it has such a unique impact um, because it has a variable interpretation. And so it's really cool to hear what it means to all the different people. And, and, and like you said, like when people walk up to you and, in an airport or a grocery store or at a coffee shop and, and they notice it and, and, and really it goes two ways. Usually it's, well, what is, what does living great story mean to you? Or they just come up to you and start explaining what it means to them. And so you're just sitting there and all of a sudden this stranger walks up and starts pouring out their life story about cancer or, you know, travel or entrepreneurship or, you know, family and love and struggle. And you're just, you know, like it just evokes this, really intense emotion in people. It's really interesting how a graphic t-shirt can have that effect. So I've started printing shirts that say, try new things, because it goes along with my own my own motto. And literally the same thing. People will come up and ask me, you know, what have you tried? Or I was in a, a stand, I was in a comedy club and the headliner of the club was kind of doing a lot of audience play and he was talking to people and I was in like the third row. So I felt I was safe. And he goes, you back there in the shirt, really loud. What does your shirt say? And so I'm like, oh shit, here we go. And I'm like, try new things. And he went into this whole riff about how that's what life's about. And he did this, this, you know, this whole thing about it. And then he comes back around. He goes, yeah, but come on. How old are you, 50? I said, yeah, 52. And he goes, what have you tried that would be impressive, that would be try new things? And I was with a friend. I was out in Los Angeles. I was with a friend, and my friend started laughing because he knew what the answer was going to be. Because just a couple months earlier, at 51 years old, I got sort of dared by a friend of mine who's a comic to go and do an open mic night set. And ever since then, I'd now, by the time I was in that comedy club, it had been like 20 open mic nights that I had done. And so I told him I, I took up stand-up comedy at 51 years old, and I've done 20 open mic nights. And literally, he didn't have a comeback. Like, he literally thought whatever it was, he was going to be able to riff on. And the comic was like, wow. And you could tell it wasn't what he expected. He moved on to the next person and was ripping on people on, on down the road. And then afterwards, I corresponded with him about it. And he was like, that was, dude, he goes, that's awesome. And so with certain people, it really does sort of have that resonation factor. Now, mine came about sort of from something when I turned 50, I made sort of a personal declaration that I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And that's a big declaration because I had a good life previous to that. However, I was one of those people who did what society said. I wasn't like you. I, I went to college. I got married. I had kids. I had a mortgage. And it was a good life. There's no, no complaints. But I wasn't really following my passion. And I hardly could say that I was living a great story. And so at 50, I just changed that. And so part of what I teach when I go and I speak to young professionals groups, groups of your age, is I talk about this fact that you don't have to wait till you're 50 to make 50 to 75 the best years of your life. Make tomorrow the beginning of the best years of your life. And it really resonates. I think that there's a lot of people who are in that millennial group who, you know, they don't know, they don't know what to do. I think they're getting mixed messages from society. So let's talk about your age group. How did people your age live a great story? What do they need to do? So I think that one of the big themes that I've come to realize in developing the guide. So we, we built this um, subscription accountability journal and essentially it helps you, you know, think about, clarify what's important to you and then actually stick with that and do it. And in the, in the development of that, we talked to, you know, we went through all the books that we've read and all the masterminds and podcasts and all the history and, and kind of we're talking about themes and, and just really having these really uh, engaging discussions around what is living a great story and what does that mean? 
And a big part of it, which you just touched on, is you don't have to wait until fill in the blank to feel fill in the blank, right? You don't have to wait until you get to this point to feel better or to feel accomplished or to feel successful or to be happy. Like that is tying an external circumstance or an external factor to an internal feeling. And I think a lot of this is um, this is what I was writing about this morning is this idea of like no finish lines, right? We put these finish lines out there of if I can only like start a business or go travel or, you know, find the love of my life or start a relationship or quit my job, then I'll feel like this. And it's such like, like we get to those points and we, those feelings that we have ended up not even being what we expect them to be. And so I think knowing that and like backtracking, like uh, then we can make decisions today. Like you said, um, making this the best day of your life, right? Like you don't have to wait until some other time to make it the best time of your life. Like do what you can to feel the emotions and the, and the, the life that you want to live today, because you're never going to get to that point. If you're always tying these external circumstances to how you feel and how like your, your journey, then you're never going to achieve that. And so this idea of no finish lines. And I think for our age group, we really identify with that because we've seen you know, we're talking about the minimalist, we the, buy the big house, fill it with crap, like get to this point, you know, climb the corporate ladder. Like that's all bullshit. Like that doesn't exist. And it existed for a time in, in space, but we're at this space of like, you know, you're, what if you don't get there? You know, I think that this idea of, I've been really meditating on the idea of death and, and like the, the, the eternal finish line. And that could happen anytime in any place. And so to put feeling and like identity and, and association with our journey and our, our power and our, our story until something else is really a detrimental circumstance. And so I think that our kind of our time point, our like millennials are, are realizing that that's not necessarily like the idea that we want to uh, associate with. Like we don't want to wait until we're retired to travel or we don't want to wait, you know, we don't want to buy all these things that cement us down and like, restrict our mobility or our, you know, agility to do things. It's like, we'd rather collect experiences and, you know, be out in the world and um, do things rather than buy stuff. And I think that that's a big part of, of kind of our phase of it is like, let's just try stuff and do it and like live more intentionally so that we, we don't have to wait until then to have that feeling. I like your idea of collect experiences. One of the things we taught our kids growing up is, you know, I mean, bigger middle class. There was there was some money, but we didn't have unlimited amounts of money. So when it would come time for a birthday or a holiday, we sort of had a family motto called tickets, not trinkets. And so, you know, they might want the latest gadget, but we could either get you a gadget or we could all go to Europe. And so several times when they were growing up, we forewent Christmas presents. And that didn't mean there wasn't something under the tree. But we said, okay, no birthday, no Christmas presents, but we'll spend two weeks in Europe this summer. And, uh, you know, the kids like that. And both my kids, I think, like that idea of, you know, traveling. They want tickets for things. So for Christmas two years ago, uh, they both opened it up and it was tickets to see Hamilton in Chicago that summer. So the, the Christmas gift wasn't cashed in for seven months. But seven months later, we got to go as a family. My, my daughter who lives in Pittsburgh flew in and met us. The rest of us flew up and, you know, we did all the tourist stuff you can do in Chicago. And at the same time, we went and saw uh, the musical Hamilton there. So, I mean, it's like, you know, that's sort of something we still can talk about because, you know, hey, remember when we saw Hamilton? So. 
I think, yeah, I mean, I, I love that idea. And, and that, that reminds me that you told me this a long time ago. And I think that that was, um, my family definitely started doing that. We gave each other experiences. We all picked names out of a hat and we found one other person and we, we did an experience with that person. Oh, that's and cool. so like, I said, that's very cool. I like that idea. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like it came from your trips, not trinkets idea. Um, cause we talked about this a while ago. I had forgotten about it, which is cool. Um, but yeah, like me and my mom, uh, we did a calligraphy class. So for six weeks, every week or six or eight weeks, we went to a calligraphy class together and you know, that's way, way deeper of a connection and a memory than unwrapping a Christmas present that you kind of forget about a couple of weeks later or, you know, a year later. Yeah. I I think, I think that's very cool. We do a thing with our kids Well, it's over now, but we did a thing with our kids that when they turn 13, they get to plan a trip anywhere in the 48 contiguous states for three nights with mom and they get to do whatever they want to do. So if they don't want to go see a certain site, we don't do that. Uh, they totally want to see something and the parent thinks it's dumb. We do it anyway. So when they're 13, they got to do it with mom. When they're 16, they got to do it with me. So my oldest, they're five years apart. So the oldest got her two trips. When we thought of the idea, we thought it was like a trip, a trip, and then a trip and a trip. But my, my, we didn't do the math right. My oldest got her two trips and then my youngest got her two trips. But the oldest went to uh, Philadelphia and Hershey, Pennsylvania. Because when you're 13, a little bit of history, a little bit of chocolate uh, sounded like a great thing. And they did three or four nights in Pennsylvania. And then when she was 16, she and I went to Boston and we turned it into, she was very focused on college. We turned it into both a social and fun, but also a college experience, college trips in Boston. And then when my 13-year-old did it, she wanted to go to Seattle because when you're 13, whale watching and the original Starbucks, really cool. And then it was time this this year for her 16-year-old trip. And I said, where do you want to go? And she said, Yosemite. And my answer was, Boston? Did you say Boston? Because your sister and I had a great time in Boston. There's some cool colleges we could visit. And she looked at me and said, Yosemite. And I said, that sounds outdoorsy. And she said there was no there was no stipulation that it had to be in a city and just had to be in the continental United States. And I was like, damn. And so my daughter and I spent four days in April in Yosemite sleeping in a tent and we had a ball. It was a great experience. And we got to see a thing called a moon bow, which is like a rainbow at night. And they're very rare and they're scheduled because it has to do with where the moon is at a certain angle. And they happen at waterfalls. And Yosemite is one of the handful of places in the world where this happens on a regular basis. And so apparently it's a big deal to see a moon bow. So that was our experience. We'll be walking around somewhere and she'll just look at me out of the blue and she'll go, dad, moon bow. And that's something that we shared together that most people in the world will never see. And I was like, that's awesome. I've never even heard of a moon bow. Go so. Google it. Google moon bow Yosemite and you will see it's like a very faint rainbow in the middle of the night. Wow. That's awesome. I, uh, I now love you, that. You got to add that to your list. If you haven't been to Yosemite, you got to go when the moon bow happens. I've been to Yosemite, but not when the Moonbo happens. Yeah, I think so it happens once or, once or twice a year. They're, they're like on schedule, but uh, we just happen to luck into it. So, Zach, I want to talk more about this journal that, you're, that you've that you got out and how people can use it in the new year to help them live a great story. But first, I've got to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, as always, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, 
and interviewing really cool people like Zach Horvath. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So you've released a thing really recently called the Live a Great Story Journal. What is that and, and why does it matter? So we've talked to, over the last four years and some change of Live a Great Story, we've talked to thousands of people about what that means, right? Like what is living, what is great, and what's a story? And how does that, what's the overlap of that in all of our lives? And one of the things that we realized in, in kind of going back to the foundation and the story and how it spread and the impact is this idea that it's really about the journey and you don't ever you never have accomplished a great story. It's a continual decision. And really, it's a daily or weekly decision to choose a better story. And, and so and so, what's the journal? So the guide is came out of that idea that it's really about something that can hold, that can help you clarify what that is. Like, what is it to you? What is it to each of us? to live a great story and what are the things that are important on a daily basis? Because it's not about that next big thing. It's not about the race or the trip or, you know, the things in the distance that make up the great stories. Great stories happen on a daily basis. And, and so we realized that it wasn't necessarily about the long term. It was about the right now and the tomorrow and making the decisions that are the right decisions for each of us that add up in the long term to really make you feel like you've, you've done that for yourself and that you, you aren't missing what's really important for maybe what's urgent or putting off what's important until later, but taking those things. And we realized that it wasn't even the, the really big things. It's, it's the small stuff that we can accomplish on a daily basis that helps us feel more ourselves. It helps us feel more in line with our story and our superpowers and what's important to us. And so out of that idea, we really went back to the drawing boards and came up with this really simple, easy to follow process that helps the, um, the person, the user uh, flow through an experience that helps them clarify what's important and really um, just kind of outline what that looks like and then make a plan for how to do that more consistently and then also stay on track with it longer. So essentially the guide is uh, a monthly accountability journal that helps you gain clarity and manifest action and then stay aligned with your story. And the coolest part, I think, is that it shows up in your mailbox once a month. So we realized that it's not about the, um, the day to day, like it's not about making that decision one time. It's about continually making that decision and maybe with a planner or, you know, other sorts of journals, you buy them, you use them for a couple of weeks and then they sit on your shelf. We wanted to create something that's a continual nudge in the right direction. And so uh, the guide is really a, a subscription to help you remind yourself of what's important and to stay on track with it. And uh, so it shows up in the mail once a month and actually probably more often we're even going to be expanding that to, to be a more consistent reminder. And so uh, it's really just a nudge where you are nudging yourself to like, Hey Tom, get back on track. You want to work out more. You want to run, you want to spend more time with your family. You want to do whatever that is. We've kind of broken it down into uh, six. We call them the essential six. So it's health pursuit relationships uh, impact, adventure, and education. So what are those six areas of life that you can just continually on a daily basis make conscious decisions that 
make you feel like you're those feelings of, 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 of living and not, um, not the other side of that and, and really regretting the decisions you're making. So I actually love the idea that instead of one big thick journal, I mean, people sell these, you know, success journals all the time, but it is true. You, you get it, you have it, you put it away and then you take a trip and you forget and you don't do it every day. And then the journal is filled out for, you know, a little bit and then you just chuck it at the end of the year. I like the fact that you've made them small and they just keep coming. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing one of the big problems that the guide addresses is that feeling of like overwhelm and you get overwhelmed with stuff and you like have to stick to the schedule and you have to fill it out every day and track how much water you drank and how many, you know, calls you made or like, did you work out and like all these things. And it, and it sets these parameters of success, you know, like little micro finish lines. Like, did I work out seven times this week? No, I didn't. And then you know, maybe you go a week or two weeks without doing that. And then you feel down. You're like, I've got, I'm behind. I'm not doing as well as I should. And, and then now I'm like, I have to do this. And we didn't want that. We wanted to like really just build an, a space for people to not feel like they had to do something or another thing to check off the list. It's really just, um, just an encouragement for yourself that it, there's, it's really not about the, the checkpoints and like the specificity and the rigidity of, of, a, of, a, of a planner or a calendar or, or something that you have to do. It's just something that like, like I'm doing this more consistently. And so that's really why we did it. And then, and then, and then it shows up every month so that if you do fall off, it just kind of nudges you like, Hey, keep going, keep working at this, keep making moves. Um, you're on the right track. Just, just keep going, keep taking action. So Zach, before I let you go, I want to retouch this whole idea of live a great story. We're going into a brand new year. We're just days away from 2019. What advice do you have for people? This comes back from the experiences that you've had. You know, you've, you've talked to a ton of really successful entrepreneurs. You've, you've had conversations with thousands and thousands of people about this. If somebody feels that they've been stuck or their ladder's been against the wrong wall or for any one of, you know, a modicum of reasons, they don't feel that they're living their own great story. What advice do you have for them in the new year? The two pieces of advice that I think underlie all of the other advice and all of the, the major decisions you can make are be you and do you. Because what happens is, we're not ourselves. We, we start looking at other people and we start judging. <clears throat> we start judging externally other people's lives and comparing it to our own. So I think starting from a place of who am I? Um, what, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Who am I being you and making those conscious decisions to not let external circumstances validate or justify or encourage or nudge us or influence us as to who we are? is really important. So you have to be relentlessly authentic in yourself and, and be you. And then the secondary part of that is actually doing you and taking the action and making the choices and making the conscious decisions to, um, to, to act out of that authenticity. So it's part one of being you and that takes, um, understanding who you are and diving into your life and thinking about yourself and, um, just um, investigating yourself and then actually acting on that knowledge and that base. So be you and do you in 2019. And the coolest part is that you can't 
fail at that. It, if you, as long as you're taking the micro steps and the movement and thinking about that journey, and even if you're taking like super, super baby steps, but you're still taking steps and they're conscious decisions, then you're going to keep going. And the coolest part is you're never going to totally be you and you're never going to be able to totally be doing you either. It's a lifetime journey. And so just start, start doing it, start thinking, start reading, start learning, start asking questions and, and really diving into yourself and then come up with your own action steps to actually manifest those decisions and those actions in real life and take it out into the world. Because when you are you and you are acting out of that authenticity and that truth and that realness and that inspired other people to do the same. And it really comes back to that quote. It's like, don't ask what the world needs, ask what lights you on fire because the world needs more people who are on fire. Um, and, and when you're on fire and when, when you're being you and doing you, that inspires other people to do the same. And that's how we have the growth in the world that we need and the impact and the authenticity to like really make the changes that need to happen. I think that's a great way to wrap up 2018 and launch everybody into a great 2019 where they can live a great story. Hey, Zach Horvath, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. If people want to find you, how do they how do they get in touch with you? If they want to buy a T-shirt, they want to buy the guide, the Live a Great Story guide, where do they do all that stuff? So the best place is liveagreatstory.com. Everything is on Live a Great Story. If you want to come hang out on social media, it's also Live a Great Story. Instagram, Live a Great Story. Hashtag Live a Great Story. If you want to see how other people are doing it on Facebook, we have Live a Great Story. And then we also have our digital community. Um, it's called the Live a Great Story Squad. So there's about 4,000 people in there inspiring each other to be you and do you together and really talking about a lot of the themes that we talked about today. So do that. And then, um, yeah, just come hang out and shoot me a message, say hi, and uh, let's let's connect, let's hang out. Awesome, and if you have a giant shoe collection, be sure to reach out, because you found, you found your true brother in Zach. <laughs> hey, thank you so much to everybody who tuned in. I say it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. Welcome to 2019. This is the year that I'm gonna really push everybody to uh, try to reach more of your potential. Get out there and try new things. It's the only way you're gonna figure it out. It's how you're gonna flex that courage muscle. And so go out there before the next episode and try something new. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.